From Miami Law, I'm Aned Uges, and this is The Explainer. They had two cents of books and records. The only number of books and records which you may have is one. Welcome to Season 9 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. The CFO of the Trump Organization recently pleaded guilty to committing more than a dozen felonies, including tax fraud and grand larceny. Just before that, a federal appeals court ruled that the U.S. House of Representatives could access the former president's tax returns. Francis Hill, an expert on federal income tax, constitutional law, and election law, adds things up on today's show. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Francis. Good morning, Catherine. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, tax trouble in Trumpville. Um, let's start with the CFO, Alan Weisenberg, who has worked in the Trump family for nearly 50 years. So, the allegation is not that he stole from the company but that he and others were illegally compensated. Is that the way to look at it? I think the way to look at it is that they found a way to exclude a significant part of their compensation from the amount reported as income for purposes of taxation. You have to think of this part of the case as a um, fringe benefit case, um, which usually involves oh, I don't know, meals and business meals and travel. This is for really big amounts of money. Um, The big amounts of money here included um, an apartment in Manhattan, two leases for Mercedes cars for Weisselberg and his wife, and then um, there was the tuition for the grandchildren at very expensive Manhattan schools and other stuff as well. So in fact... Weisselberg was sort of stealing from us. And he was also causing whoever prepares the W-2 for him to do it incorrectly. And therefore, that's where the entities are in this, because they didn't catch this. And they were complicit, is the charge, that um, enabled these employees, chief among them Weisselberg, to have a lot more money than he reported to the IRS. And some people say, oh, well, it's just fringe benefits because the word fringe. That's not true at all. They're enormous amounts of money. And um, this is the kind of thing that should not happen. So he's pled guilty. He's pled guilty to 15 charges. Grand larceny. Oh, yes. Tax evasion. Yes. And, and, and. And he has been pronounced guilty. His guilty plea was accepted. Um, He has worked out a plea agreement that requires that in October, in the uh, case, the judicial case involving the Trump entities, whatever they are, and nobody knows what this is. Right. He has to testify, and this is a moment of great peril for him. He's a 75-year-old man. He has cut a deal for five months in prison, which is a sweetheart deal, really. 
But if he doesn't answer those questions in the October trial, the judge says he can sentence Weiselberg to up to 15 years in some prison. So they've got enormous leverage over him. He's in a very tight spot here for tax purposes. It should be a, a sort of, I think, you know, tale that everybody should look at who is having thoughts of cheating on their taxes. Um, and he has said, and he thinks that he has a deal where he doesn't have to put Trump himself in the middle of this. But the question that has arisen everywhere is, given that nobody understands the Trump companies and what's a corporation and what's Trump's role, and we don't know who wrote the checks for all these goodies for Weisselberg and Mrs. Weisselberg and the little Weisselbergs of the next generation, we don't know any of this. The thought is that always... The former president wrote all the checks for that company on God knows what accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's true, how he's going to thread this particular needle of truthfully answering questions about these entities without saying anything incriminating about the 45th president of the United States um, is the sort of thing that is going to cause people to watch as much of this trial as they have time for. Court TV, right? Well, it's also a teaching advice. Um, I mean, how would you prepare a, a client to be in this position? And, you know, it's a difference for Weisselberg between five months in prison, which is pretty hard, I would think, as for a 75-year-old, or 15 years, which is pretty close to a life sentence. Sure, sure. Um, can you talk a little about the the October trial? So if an organization is on trial, I kind of need a spreadsheet to keep track of everything. What could be the consequences on that at the end of that trial? Well, Other than if Weiselberg doesn't Nobody knows for sure because nobody knows what's going on on inside any of those entities. And so, for instance, these are some of the things that could theoretically happen, but no one knows. This is just on my part speculation. The Trump companies never have made much money. It's one of the reasons he's always grifting Mm -hmm. that and training from early childhood, as best I can tell with his father. I mean, um, really, we should all be glad we didn't have a father who taught us how to grift, Mm -hmm. just how to work. Um, But he doesn't have much liquidity, apparently, and is always borrowing money. And um, so... One doesn't know if he's going to discuss how each of these entities operates, um, because how can one have a New York corporation if it doesn't have a board of directors? I mean, they're required under New York law, best I can tell. Um, And so we've got a situation here with these murky, messy organizations doing heaven knows what um, 
some of it legal, some of it not legal, some of it ending up not being legal, although it could be legal if somebody paid attention to keep it legal. Um, And it is just as close to a free-for-all as one can imagine of entities formed under New York law, if indeed all of them were. Some of them just seem like single-person entities that anyone might form for a single purpose. But it does seem, based on other sources, that the 45th president wrote all the checks, Mm -hmm. or most of them. And, and what the source of that money was, we don't know. There is supposition that the entire Trump organization, like all of them, could just go kaboom, mm-hmm. kaput. Right. And wipe them out financially. W- wipe them out financially. Also, they may have violated um, representations in loan agreements that they would not do anything illegal, which seems quaint to have in these kinds of agreements with these kinds of parties. But that's very standard in these high dollar borrowings with real estate as security. But he's on on the hook, the organization, the former president, in several criminal and civil cases about the valuations. Is that right? Oh, yes. There are a whole range of other tax-related cases. First of all, there's the IRS never-ending audit of the Trump affair. The problem now seems to be that the IRS doesn't have enough really experienced auditors to even begin to look at the Trump organization. But, you know, maybe you don't have to be experienced. Maybe you just have to be really smart and clever. Right. Um, I don't know, but they... They're not finishing that. So that's out there, we think, still running. Nobody knows for sure. And then there are um, cases involving the financing of the golf courses and the borrowings there. Plus, they lost their accounting firm this spring. The accounting firm announced, amazingly, it could no longer vouch for any representation that it was operating legally or how it was operating at all, which just really makes your eyes pop open in the morning when you read about it in the New York Times. Sure, sure. And then you have the taxes that are going to be sent to the Ways and Means Committee. Yes. Well, um, the Ways and Means Committee is getting the federal income taxes. And the Internal Revenue Code provides that those tax forms shall, shall be provided to the Ways and Means Committee of the House of Representatives. That's the tax writing committee in the House of Representatives. Um, Trump has strung this out beyond all reason in his usual pattern, but um, they're going to have it. We're not going to see any of that, maybe ever, maybe for a long time. Um, and there may be more. Um, I can't help observing at this point that um the former president buried his first wife near the first tee of his golf course at Bedminster, apparently because part of that facility is apparently devoted to being a graveyard cemetery for some sort of state prop or local property tax break, which I don't understand at all. But really, if you think the person you're considering marrying is going to bury you at the first tee at a golf course, 
don't marry that guy. I'm pretty sure she had no, uh, as she fell down the stairs, no, didn't know anything about this. Had no idea who pushed her. <laughs> um, who knows anything about anything of this? Um, it is it is a very complex, murky um, surrounding pattern of surrounding facts. So I think it's important to say about this one, well, it really is very much like a fringe benefit case, except these are not fringe benefits. It doesn't mean they're illegal. You can pay somebody by giving them three new Mercedes Benz every year. That's fine. Pay them. But you have to then value them and they have to declare that on their tax return and pay whatever the tax value right. would would be of your um your compensation for that year. And this is right at section 61 of the Internet Internal Revenue Code, which says income is income from whatever source derived. And the regs go on to say, and in whatever form it is. So three Mercedes Benz could be compensation, could be completely legal. Mm -hmm. But it's when you don't declare it. And moreover, you've got a whole little scheme that everybody is running to not declare it. And they had two cents of books and records. The only number of books and records which you may have is one. Mm -hmm. Any number greater than one is going to be linked to a felony. Right. Okay. So it's not just Weiselberg. No. There were other executives. That there seem also, to have been. And it seems that some of them have been cooperating from the beginning or at some point are cooperating. Right. But he knows more than anybody else, I believe, about the company and more than any of the people named Trump. Um, none of the people named Trump seem to have been indicted for this. Um, and maybe I should just remark that the 45th president um, invoked his rights of non um self-incrimination under the Fifth Amendment, which he's entirely entitled to do, and any lawyer would, in these circumstances, um, tell their client to do exactly what his lawyer told him to mm -hmm. do. That's a sort of something not even worth thinking about. It's right. just off on the side. The valuation issue is not in this case. Maybe I can just summarize what that is. Okay. You value it high when you want to borrow money so that somebody will lend you a big gob of money. You value it low um, when there's a taxable event involving that um, property. You sell it, for instance, and then um, you value it a very low amount. So the taxes are low. Um, and he seems to have a very flexible approach toward valuations. Well, he's been very open about that. He said, what are you worth? Oh, whatever I feel like that day. Yes, well, a little valuations are not a matter of feelings. <laughs> um, they're facts and circumstances. And there used to be... Um, sort of sardonic comments about valuation experts as having the morals of the practitioners of the world's oldest profession. But more recently, especially since the Enron case, where mm -hmm. that did not serve anyone well, they seem to have been looking valuation people to sort of 
beyond the straight and narrow, and they have conferences now talking about valuing stuff, which is really quite amazing. So is this a little bit Al Capone-ish that there's so many things, go, what, what the Washington Post called it, the swell of legal scrutiny, you know, the legally executed search at Mar-a-Lago, the insurrection hearings, the voting monkey business in Georgia, even the sexual assault case that's still out there. Are they going to get him on taxes? Um, well, he isn't charged in the case that is coming to court in October. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um Best we know, he hasn't killed anyone. Um, Al Capone had killed many people, which made the tax conviction seem so disproportionate. But it did get him off the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, Although um, we in Miami are busy apparently tearing down the Al Capone house. We don't seem to have the desire to keep it and venerate it anymore. The love for the history. It's part of our history here in Miami. I would have bulldozed that thing (laughs) decades ago, but that's just me. Uh Um, So with Trump, there seemed like an awful lot of charges. Um, The National Archives case seems to me to be very well documented And the National Archives people are tenacious about collecting what it is that they're responsible for collecting. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just do know that this is a serious case that um, could have been entirely legal. And they chose to make it illegal. But why they chose to have two sets of books Mm-hmm. I do not know. I mean, what they're meticulous about and not meticulous about is a mystery. Now, the idea of what the judge can do, we should keep before us. The idea that the judge can determine whether Weiselberg told the full truth faithfully in the trial If he didn't do that, the judge can sentence him to 15 years because there has been no sentencing hearing yet. And he explained this to Weisselberg, and that apparently was part of the plea deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in for those of us who teach tax, we will teach fringe benefits with renewed interest, (laughs) saying, here's a list of all the things you should not do. Sure. The fringe benefits case is what? They're holding over Weisselberg. That's not what the October trial is about, though. It is. It is. Just about all of the French benefits. It's about the role of the various entities in these transactions. And so it by no means implicates every entity under the heading of the Trump organization. We don't know how many entities for sure are going to be referenced. Um, We don't know what they're going to figure out between now and then. Um, And when I say fringe benefit case, I should probably say fringe benefit type of case because Mm -hmm. these were not fringe benefits. And they they had to pay taxes Mm -hmm. on them. And anyone should know that. My point is that they are perfectly legal compensation if you pay your taxes taxes. on them. So... um, Weisselberg just, I am amazed that he got in this particular form of trouble. 
Really? It, Why? I mean, he went so back unf- to the father, working for the father. He's the generational grifting. Well, but he knew better. He knew better. He was made. His salary was $960,000 a year. You would have thought a man could get along on that. Um, you know, with a few being careful and planning or right. one thing <laughs> and another. Apparently, he made so much money on not paying taxes on these um, um, cars, the apartment, the grandchildren's tuition, that he has a very plump retirement account that he put the money in that um, should have gone to the federal government paying taxes. I just don't understand people who do things like this, who roll the dice in this particular way, where they can figure it out when push comes to shove. Mm -hmm. And certainly he must know that loyalty is a one-way street for the, the person we understand to be the head of the Trump organization, this melange of structures that's sitting there, some of them inactive, some of them never were active, some of them once were but aren't now. Um, It's an enormous undertaking Mm -hmm. to kind of figure out who's doing what. I'm just surprised that Weisselberg set himself up for this. Mm. All right. This will be fun to watch. Good TV. If that is where one's taste runs, <laughs> I'm going to stick to baseball. <laughs> well, thanks very much always for joining us and explaining this, Moraz. My pleasure. Take care now. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's 47th Annual Ralphie Boyer Institute on Condominium and Cluster Development at the Boca Raton Resort on October 6th and 7th. The conference will cover the latest crucial topics for attorneys and professionals involved in real estate transactions, development, and finance. For more information, visit the Miami Law homepage at miami.law.edu.